Hello and welcome to episode two of Fenster's Funky Sevens. My name is Fenster. Uh, thanks to everybody who listened to the first episode. I got some nice feedback on this. Uh, the main idea for this podcast is that I'm a record collector and I have been collecting records for uh, a long time. I have a large collection of uh, seven inch singles. And so in this podcast, every episode, I will choose a genre or a theme and then I will pick seven records from my collection that match up with that uh, theme and uh, talk about the records and a little bit about the history and the music behind them. Um, So this week's episode is called Electronic Pop Timeline. If we look at the history of electronic music, it's very easy to go back a hundred years where people were theorizing and um, uh, creating inventions and trying to synthesize sound using electricity. But um, one of the main innovations of the early part of electronic music and a a device that still um, uh, is used today and is very familiar with most people uh, was created by uh, Leo Theremin and he patented in 1929 and that is the uh, theremin machine which is a small box with an antenna and uh, that transmits radio waves and then the the musician uses those radio waves um, uses their hands to manipulate the radio waves and uh, create music and sound Uh, most people are familiar with the sound of the theremin it's got an eerie spooky sound Um, Here is an example of Leo Theremin himself playing his machine in 1959. In the 40s and 50s, the um, concept that became known as music concrete uh, was starting to be developed. Uh, this was, The idea behind this was to use found sounds to record everyday objects, banging of things, the sound of trains, um, a bus bell, um, and any kind of sound that, uh, that exists in a city or a, a normal scape, putting effects on them and then using magnetic tapes to loop them and to try to create uh, soundscapes or sometimes they would use vinyl records and put up, make a locked groove in the vinyl record and then play a number of them at the same time to create a kind of a soundscape. Uh, and a short example of this uh, is from uh, uh, Pierre Schaefer and is called Etude de Bouille. Sorry, my French pronunciation isn't too great. It means uh, a study of noise. In the 50s in Germany, you had a very famous uh, avant-garde composer and performer and uh, electronic uh, sound pioneer Stockhausen. And he was working with manipulating sound waves and seeing what kind of uh, sounds could be created. And again, he created kind of soundscapes, um, not particularly musical things, 
but uh, more a study of what can be done in manipulating sounds rather than trying to achieve pleasant sounds. So this is a, a short extract of Stockhausen. Um, it's called Study One. While these kind of soundscapes were important in development of electronic sounds, they weren't particularly pleasing musically. Um, there wasn't any melodies that you could sing along with. Yeah, it's good that you can manipulate a sound wave and break it up and show how it vibrates and show how it can oscillate and all these different things. But there's no real musical value to any of these things. So the, the title of this episode is called Electronic Pop Timeline. So it's kind of a look at uh, electronic pop music, pop music with melodies, music that you can sing along to. Okay, music that gets into the charts. All the records we're looking at today were very successful. A lot of them got to number one. A lot of them got to number one in, in many countries. So these were uh, electronic music, hugely innovative music, music that basically had never been heard before, but also very, very accepted and accessible. first record we're looking at today is by an English band called The Tornadoes and the song is called Telstar. Um, and the, the, the real genius behind this record is the music producer uh, Joe Meek. Uh, Joe Meek is a very interesting and innovative music producer. He's often said to be um, the first producer to really recognize the, the studio as, as part of the instruments, the studio being as important as the, 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 the other instruments and the players. And Joe Meek is famous for using lots of effects and echoes and reverb and phasing and doing a lot of manipulating of the sound in the studio. Joe Meek wrote this song and um, he produced it as well. And uh, the electronic instrument that is used on it is called a clavioline. And the clavioline is essentially a circuit board with a keyboard attached to it and an amplifier. Uh, this circuit board can be changed and manipulated and modified. So people have come up with their own adapted versions of the, cla uh, the clavioline. Um, so things like the Univox or the Musitone, uh, but they're basically all uh, adaptations of the same thing. The year is 1962 we are looking at, but... Uh, the year previously, there was a huge worldwide hit that also used uh, a clavioline, or as it had been adapted to be a musitone, and that was um, Runaway by Del Shannon. I don't own a copy of Runaway by Del Shannon. Um, I should get onto Discogs and remedy that situation pretty soon. But in 1961, he had a huge worldwide hit, um, and let's have a quick listen to it now.
that really is a great great solo there you can see that del shannon's keyboardist uh, max crook not only does he have an excellent super villain name but he's really really cutting loose there really having a lot of fun on his uh clavioline or his musitone as he adapted it to Getting back to the Tornadoes and Joe Meek, uh, Telstar was a huge, huge hit. Uh, number one in the United States, number one in the UK, number one in Ireland even. And um, it was a really huge, innovative song and really nobody had ever heard anything like it before. And um, people's ears were really cocked up by it. But unfortunately, things were not good for Joe, Joe Meek. Um, a French film production company accused uh, Joe of stealing the melody from the soundtrack to one of their uh, movies and they sued Joe, uh, which meant that he wasn't able to have access to the royalties that he earned on Telstar as the case was in progress. So it left him in a tough financial situation. Uh, Joe also was known to suffer from his mental health. People say that he was schizophrenic and bipolar. Uh, he developed an amphetamine addiction. And also he was gay in a society that um, didn't appreciate gay people very much at the time. And he never was able to come out to his own mother struggle with many many things and uh, people say that he was quite a difficult person to work with it all ended very very tragically for joe um, he ended up murdering his landlady and then killing himself in 1967 and just three weeks after his death the case was settled with the french company and joe won so he was allowed to be awarded all those royalties uh, sadly he wasn't around to get them so a very tragic end for a very very innovative uh, music producer. Let's take a listen to Telstar by the Tornadoes from 1962.
staying in England and 1962 for the next song, which is Time Beat by Ray Cattle. Time Beat is a production of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The workshop was set up in 1958 and it was... Um, its uh, purpose was to create uh, jingles and sound effects and uh, incidental music. Uh, probably the most famous piece of music that was produced by the Radiophonic Workshop was Delia Derbyshire's Doctor Who theme. Um, there's a really excellent uh, documentary that you can find on VMO called The Alchemists of Sound, which uh, goes into the methods uh, that there was used in the workshop. Um, essentially, they were sampling uh, found sounds, adding effects, and then using a tape machine to speed up and slow down those sounds so they could create a scale, they could create a complement of notes. And then they would re record uh, a huge length of tape at each note, and then they would compose music by slicing off pieces of that tape and putting them together. It was quite a laborious and complicated process, a, a mathematical process. But the, um, the workshop was populated by a, um, a, a very nice selection of uh, quirky nerds who were just delighted to do that kind of stuff. So let's take a listen to the Doctor Who theme. The record that we're focusing on today is Ray Cattled and Time Beat. Time Beat uh, originally started off as an interval signal, which is basically uh, at the start of a program or a videotape, that kind of clock that counts down. And uh, the, the beat that was used was created by Maddalena Fagadini. And a record producer heard it being used on, on, as on the, the TV and he thought that it would make a good song. And so he approached the, the workshop about releasing it as a single. So this was the first commercial release that the Radiophonic Workshop um, put out. Maddalena worked then with a, a, a young George Martin of the fifth Beatles fame, and he provided the musical accompaniment over the top. And the result sounded like this.
We cross over the Atlantic again, back to Detroit and Motown Records. It's 1966 and it's Reflections by the Supremes. This song was written and produced by the uh, songwriting team of uh, Holland Dozier Holland, who have wrote pretty much every great song of the 20th century. And they were getting a bit inspired by um, what they were hearing from the Beach Boys and from the Beatles and things like that. So this is what you could loosely describe as the first psychedelic soul record. Um, it's not a huge departure from the typical Motown sound, but there is an electric organ and electric piano. But what makes it different is the use of the test oscillator, which creates a frankly bizarre sound at the start of the uh, record, which must have turned a lot of heads when people heard it first coming from a Motown record. And you can hear it being used uh, throughout the song, chirping and chiming and some beeps being added. Sadly, Lamont Dozier died uh, earlier this year, so RIP to him. So let's take a listen to The Supremes and Reflections. Yeah. 
Next, we're in 1972 and the song by Chicory Tip, Son of My Father. This song has a bit of an interesting history. It started out in Germany and it was a Giorgio Moroder track. And it came out in Germany under with a German title, Nacht Scheines der Sun. Uh, the sun shines at night. Apologies to any German speakers for that one. And um, it was sung by a singer called Michael Holm. And it did reasonably well in Germany. And Giorgio Moroder uh, rewrote the uh, English lyrics and so had a plan to release it for the English market. Uh, the manager of Chicory Tip at the time heard the song. He got an early release version of it and, and thought it would be a perfect match for his band. And there was rules uh, uh, to do with cover versions in those days. And a song could not be covered unless it had already been played on the radio. So he brought a uh, an advanced copy of, of Giorgio Moroda's song to Norwich Radio. And it was played once on Norwich Radio at something like 2 o'clock in the morning. And that was enough to allow it to be covered. Then he got his Chicory Tip band together. They recorded a cover version and rushed out the release. And in January 1972, it was released. Um, and uh, Giorgio's version went nowhere. The song itself has very much the sound of glam rock, which was popular at the era. But what makes it added to this list, it was the first number one and the first popular song in the UK to use a Moog synthesizer. So let's take a listen to Chicory Tip and Son of My Father. <laughs>
the Chicory Tip Story features two absolute giants of electronic music. Um, Giorgio Moroder, uh, one of the most innovative producers of dance music, and also the Moog Synthesizer, which was developed by Bob Moog and first came out in 1964. But if we're talking about Moog Synthesizers and the 60s, um, it would be very remiss not to mention the work of Wendy Carlos, who switched on back album uh, where she interpreted classical pieces uh, for the synthesizer became uh, very 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 popular and was a huge advancement in electronic music. Wendy went on to release a number of different albums including the one that I have the well-tempered synthesizer in 1969 but she's probably best known for her work on the soundtrack to A Clockwork Orange in 1972. We'll take a listen now to some of uh, Switched On Back from 1968 Wendy Carlos. song is from 1972 it's popcorn by hot butter i'm pretty sure everybody on the planet is familiar with this tune and the melody it's still being used in pop songs today and reinterpreted for different purposes um the original song from this was written by a guy a german guy called gershon kingsley and it came out in 1969. He had an album called Music to Moog by with his band, the first Moog Quartet. So let's take a quick listen to the original version of Popcorn. There were plans to, in 1972 to re-release the 1969 album of the first Mute Quartet. And so for these purposes, Gershon Kinsley re-recorded Popcorn and rearranged it um, to be included on this new re-released album. Um, one of the members of the first Mute Quartet, Stan Free, liked the new arrangement and took it for his band, Hot Butter, and that was released as a single. And so it was the Hot Butter version that scored a, a, a hit all over Europe. And that's the version that everybody knows. So this is the Hot Butter version of Popcorn. <laughs>
for the next song, we stay in 1972, but we go back across the Atlantic. The, the song is Timmy Thomas, Why Can't We Live Together? Timmy Thomas was a soul R&B singer based in um, Florida, in Miami. Uh, he used to release records with the uh, famous label of TK, which became a very uh, popular disco record, mostly associated with Casey and the Sunshine Band. So anyway, one day Timmy was uh, wanted to record a demo. Um, he had some new tracks that he wanted to try out, so he went to the studio, but he was waiting for the other musicians to arrive, and they didn't arrive, and he was in the studio on his own. Uh, he got very, very bored waiting around, particularly for the drummer to arrive, so he recorded the demo on his own. He used a, a rhythm machine, which a pre-programmed bossa nova beat, and a Lowry electronic organ, and he recorded his song. He brought this to the uh, record company, and uh, they liked the demo version so much, that was the version that they decided to put out. Um, this song is an incredible song. It's a very strange, haunting song. I can't believe how people would have reacted to this when they heard it in 1972. Um, it would have sounded like completely otherworldly and, and really like nothing else at all. And I love the fact for a single how long it takes for the vocal to come in. Uh, Timmy really had a lot of confidence in his rhythm machine, bossa nova beat and his electronic organ playing. The song was a big hit in the United States and in Europe and it was one of the first songs to prominently use a drum machine in its composition. It was also sampled in 2015 by Drake to terrible effect if you ask me on his song Hotline Bling. Um, but uh, I don't think you can anything can compare to the original. So let's take a listen to Timmy Thomas, uh, Why Can't We Live Together, 1972. Why can't we live together? 
So there we have everything in place in 1972, 50 years ago. We have rock music that is in, uh, using synthesizers. We have pop music that is using synthesizers and electronic techniques. And we have black American music, soul music, which is using synthesizers and drum machines. So everything is in place for the next 50 years of music. For the last song we're going to feature, I want to jump ahead in time, almost 10 years to 1981. And this song is Laurie Anderson, Oh Superman. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people my age uh, will know this song and probably had a weird experience hearing this song for the first time. Uh, this is a very, very avant-garde piece of music to feature in the pop charts. Uh, Laurie Anderson is a performance artist from New York. And um, I don't think she ever expected to be a pop star either. Oh, Superman is the kind of uh, piece of music that you might expect to hear in a darkened New York loft space where a woman invites you to paint circles on her naked form with a swan's feather quill dipped in Kool-Aid ink in an attempt to collectively rid ourselves of the burden of childhood trauma and not on top of the pops. But uh, because this song was championed by John Peel, and he really pushed it on the radio, it became a hit all over Europe. I had a personal strange experience with this song. I'm not sure exactly what age I was, um, perhaps in my early teens, 13, 14 years old. And um, I was asleep in bed one night 
and for whatever reason i don't really understand my clock radio kicked into action beside my bed not at a particularly loud volume um i think it must have been quite close to kind of twilight time so perhaps it was in the uh the early summer it was getting kind of half dark half light maybe about five o'clock in the morning and uh bizarrely my clock radio turned on and this song was playing and it I, I was awake I was half awake I wasn't sure if I was awake or dreaming and I just heard this song and the strange chant coming over it and where I lived um in in Beaumont in Dublin um it's kind of at the top of a valley and my my room was in the attic room uh, upstairs so uh, we were kind of quite high up and I was very used to listening to night sounds um, that I could hear one one sound that I really used to love hearing um, which I don't hear anymore was the fog horns in Dublin Bay echoing up the valley from the the bay up to my house in the attic um, and uh, another sound that I would hear was trains rattling along the um, the Clontarf line so um, this song comes on in the half light i don't know if i'm awake or i'm asleep i'm hearing that rhythmic chant and then there is a line in the song that says here come the planes and at this moment a plane flew over my bedroom um uh, going to dublin airport so it was this really bizarre enchanting experience i was totally hypnotized by the song um you know i'm not sure i'm probably sure that I had heard it before but I have maybe never listened to it before and so uh, when the song ended uh, the original version is eight minutes long I think the whole thing was being played on the radio uh, I listened to the eight minutes and then I turned off the um, clock radio and went back to sleep and then the next day I just had this strange eerie feeling I wasn't sure whether this had happened or not or what it was but here i am perhaps you know 35 years later uh re recounting it on a podcast so um obviously it had a, an eerie effect on me I'm 
anybody home? Well, you don't know me. But I know you. And I gotta see. To give to you. Thank you for making it through to the end of uh, episode two of Fenster's Funky Sevens. Remember that this is a, a podcast based on my record collection and the seven inches in my record collection. So the world of electronic music is a huge um, thing to study and look at. And so the choices that I've made today are based on what I have in my collection. They are not the definitive uh, history of electronic music. There's a timeline of electronic music that I put together from records that I own. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Um, and if you need to find me, you can find me. The easiest way is on Twitter at FensterDJ. I'd love to hear any feedback or comments that you have. And I hope you tune into the next one. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>